Hour number two, kicking off in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Light, refreshing. No beer belly bloat. That's how I describe White Claw Hard Seltzer. You can try one of the variety packs. Only 100 calories. Pick it up at your favorite restaurant, your favorite package store, gas stations, wherever you can get booze, really. White Claw is going to be there. Drink it responsibly. Not at 8 a.m. Unless you're just getting off work. You need to wind down. Some people are midnight shift workers. Good night to you. All right, Sam, tell them what they might have missed last night. Thank you, John. A lot in the news. Uh, Starting off locally, the Tennessee Titans have found their defensive coordinator. Uh, They go and hire Baltimore Ravens defensive backs coach uh, Denard Wilson to be their next D.C. Uh, This is a a huge hire for me in terms of – Putting together that defensive staff uh, under under Brian Callahan now with the Titans. Uh, just finished his 12th season as an NFL coach. Uh, spent the last two seasons with the Eagles as their passing game coordinator and then their defensive backs coach. Uh, brought them to the number one passing uh, defense in their run to the Super Bowl uh, in 2022. And then went to Baltimore. Uh, you know, became their DBs coach. Obviously, the, the Baltimore secondary in that defense was unbelievable this year. Uh, you know, it was kind of a guy that was instrumental in the development of, like, Kyle Hamilton and a lot of those guys in that secondary. Uh, so this, this, to me, feels like a huge get. Uh, kind of a player's coach, and, and I, from what I saw, uh, kind of seems to be like a, a young, up-and-coming, like, D'Amico Ryans type guy. Yeah, I saw that Darius Slay had talked about how the mm-hmm. Eagles should have just kept him and yep. promoted him to defensive coordinator versus going out and getting someone new that you know ultimately got fired that led to Matt Patricia inexplicably calling plays. I'm sure the Eagles regret letting him go, especially when you see the way their defense kind of was a mess last year, especially towards the end of last year. I'm pretty excited for Denard Wilson. I'm not going to act like I'm an expert, but I mean like – Number one secondary with the Eagles, number one secondary with the Ravens. That's good enough for me. Yeah, absolutely. good enough for me. Those are two good defenses. Now, whether or not he can organize one and call it, I don't know. But I will say, like, I I have confidence now that the Titans, at the very least, will have a good secondary, or at least good secondary play. Yeah. Better secondary play. That's been a weakness of the team for a long time. A long time. A long time. I do give the Titans credit. And also, to me – you know, something that Callahan was saying in his press conference, you know, opening up was that he was looking for coordinator hires that, like, make things difficult on him as a head coach and stuff like that and make him think. Um, and I saw that the Bengals only averaged 176 passing yards in their two games against Denard Wilson secondary. So, so basically, like, hey, this guy's got my respect. Yeah. He, he's, he's elite. He's got a good mind. He's got my number. I want to go I want to go learn with him. And also, yeah, he can help me get better as 100%. a signal caller. So, like, I give the Titans credit. I thought their passing game has sucked for a while. They go out and get a pretty good innovative offensive mind. We'll see if he fixes it or whatever. But, like, they at least tried to fix the problem. And then in the secondary, you know, they're like, hey, the defense, we can't stop anybody through the air. Go out and hire one of the guys that are, you know, get, has credit for being one of the best secondary coaches in the in the league. So they're at least trying to fix the problems. I'll give them credit for that. 100%. 100%. Um New head coaching news also in the NFL. Uh, the Ravens defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, hired as head coach over there in Seattle. Um, this, to me, feels like a pretty solid fit. I think kind of this is, uh, you know, obviously a really young candidate and a guy that's that's made that Baltimore defense really, really good and is 
you know, kind of had experience at all different levels of the game, uh, you know, Michigan and then going back into the NFL. So I think this is a solid hire for a young Seattle team. I'd be really worried if I was Seattle hiring Mike McDonald because, you know, many people are telling me that he was not the brains of that defense. It was actually uh, the new Titans defensive coordinator that made that whole thing work. I'm just kidding. Bob, what are your thoughts on Seattle? Passing on Dan Quinn, passing on Belichick, very able to hire a the youngest coach in the NFL now. Yeah, I was just going to say, youngest coach. Um, maybe it seems to be that, again, a lot of teams – taken that route of an up-and-comer that may be able to bring a new-age kind of locker room culture together. Uh, this guy's background, to the best I could tell, uh, I wasn't that familiar with McDonald other than I knew what his current job was. Um, but sounds like he was he had kind of risen through the ranks, spent time at, what, he was at Georgia, then Michigan, right? Um, so, I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely been exposed to some – at a college level and pro level, to some some really elite uh, programs and franchises, and you can't argue uh, with what he's he's done with the Baltimore defense as well. So, I think it's a good hire. I uh, wasn't entirely surprised. We had a feeling based on everything we were hearing, McDonald was going to go somewhere, whether it was Washington or Seattle. Yeah, I mean, like it seemed like they the two teams that didn't make a hire last week were waiting on the coordinators and. Right. Washington misses out on offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, but McDonald gets his job in Seattle. I thought that made a lot of sense. Just that, I thought I really thought they were just going to hire Dan Quinn, bring him back home. So I do give them credit for at least thinking outside the box and and going with an up and comer. We'll see if it works out. We'll see if it works out because we don't we don't know if he could be a head coach, but sometimes those guys end up being studs. Maybe they found a stud. I'd rather roll the dice with him than be like, you know what? I've already seen Dan Quinn. Let's try that again. And the, the, can I just add something? You just reminded me of this, too. When you talk about we've seen situations where these young coaches don't make it. Remember, there was a moment in time with Zach Taylor at Cincinnati where I, I was convinced. I mean, Joe Burrow cures a lot of your problems. But prior to that, I mean, he was, I felt, was struggling. I mean, they, they give give Cincinnati some credit for being patient. but Well, you know, much like Seattle, Bob, they say that uh, it's not really Zach Taylor, it's Brian Callahan that was the whole brains of that ah, operation and, okay. you know, kind of uh, developed and, right. and saved Zach Taylor by, you know, recreating the offense on the fly and putting in some of the LSU stuff that Burrow and Chase liked. And, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Zach Taylor now that the brains of the operation is in Nashville. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can't I can't make that call yet. Because, I mean, he was about to get fired even the year they went to the Super Bowl. They're like, this guy's not got it. And then right. like, they, they got hot, went on a little bit of a run, and, and got there. But, again, like, you know, the Titans propaganda and, and the people actually from Cincinnati that talked about it was like, you know, he actually, talking about Callahan, started changing the offense on the fly and, and did kind of go with what Burrow was doing at LSU that was, he was so good at. Yeah. And, you know, credit to Taylor as a head coach for allowing his coordinators to coordinate. So, like, I, I do give – Coaches credit whenever they're not too stubborn. So like maybe that's good for Taylor's long term success, or maybe he he might be like Sirianni at the end of the day, and you're like, oh well, whenever your coordinators are gone, what exactly do you do here? Yeah, and well, the other thing I failed to mention was Cincinnati too, because it's pretty well chronicled. I said you know tip of the hat to them, but you know Cincinnati's uh, not the most freewheeling spending franchise, and so they probably were like, well, we got to ride this out for a little while anyway. Oh, um, that's the glass half empty. Look yes. at it, yeah. yeah. No, the organization is patient. 
No, the organization is just cheap and doesn't want to pay a buyout. Yeah. There's two ways to look at it. Yes. Sam, what else you got? Uh, some more NFL coaching news. Uh, Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley is leaving to go become the Green Bay Packers' new defensive coordinator. Uh, this they, seems absurd on on the on the on face value. Uh, I think this honestly might become kind of a trend, John. Oh, he, I thought, yeah. He said uh, he wants to go coach football again in a league that is all about football. Oh uh, no, no, I mean like uh, it, I think it makes sense whenever you think about it. But I'm saying whenever you tell me that a head coach at a sure. power Powerful. five school, I mean I, I think that phrase is power four antiquated. <laughs> yeah, power four now, but I really think it's a power two, and they're not one of them. But like when you tell me you have one of those jobs. I assume, I assume he's making you know was making three or four million dollars. I can't imagine that you'd be in a Power Four conference at a, a I don't want to say well respected school, but Boston College at least somewhat cares about their sports. Maybe not. Maybe the days of Matt Ryan are far gone. But like, I look at that and I say, the a coordinator in the NFL can't be making more money. It's probably a pay cut for sure. I but, think it's more of the lifestyle change. Of but not yeah, like you said, or like he said, you know, like, hey, I want to just go somewhere where I'm coaching ball. I saw a report that like NFL coaches have it much, much better than college coaches now. And a college coach got quoted saying, we're all trying to get to the league at this point. I think, yeah. And, and I, I would even say we talked about it, a, I guess, a week or two ago with some of these. Some of these head coaches that are not in any prestigious programs that went to Alabama, and I think obviously it's Alabama, so that's part of it. Uh, but I think it it holds true here too, whether it's NFL or if it's a big time college program where you're seeing some head coaches and more middling programs moving on. It's also the state of everything we've been talking about with the NCAA, with you know NIL, transfer portal, all this other stuff. It's become there's so much noise. I would think if you're a head coach to have to deal with all that, that they don't want to anymore. I, I really believe that's part of it as well. The quote said at one point, college coaches thought they kind of had it better than NFL coaches in terms of the work schedule and like being able to kind of have an off season and like hey, you kind of get to lay back and yeah, you're recruiting, but like some of that's on campus. You don't have to go out as much. You know, because like Spurrier had talked about when he got to the NFL, he's like, you know, basically like was in and out of the office, you know, nine to five is kind of like what, what he talked about. He's like, he told his coach, like, hey, we're not staying here too long. It's simple, blah, blah, blah. Like he kind of brought that mentality to the NFL. And they're like, no, you don't do that in the NFL. In the NFL, you sleep at your office, you work yeah. around the clock, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of gone away and it's it switched roles. Now college, you are constantly stressed out. Yeah. Recruiting players, recruiting your own players, worried about their contracts with their NIL collectives, worried about whether or not your NIL collective is is breaking any rules. Because I'm sure Hypel has at least had to stop and be a little stressed about what's happened with, with Nico and the NCAA. Like it, it's not a good thing for the football team that the NCAA is saying that Nico is, you know, that, that his recruitment was a little bit uh, against their rules that they didn't have, the rules that weren't created and weren't in place. It's not a good thing for Hypo's psyche. He's probably not get sleeping better at night. So, yeah, I mean, especially if you're in a place like Boston College where, like, you probably know, like, hey, our ceiling is eight wins, but I still have to do all this and still have to have all this stress. For what? I'm not going to win a championship. Why he not go said, to, go ahead. He said college coaching has become fundraising, NIL, and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. Yeah, so I mean, go there and just be like, hey, I'm not even the head coach. I don't have to run things in Green Bay. I'll just coach the defense, love coaching defense. I'll just reconnect with ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. Like like I said, on, on, 
on surface, and you're like, wow, a head coach is giving up that position. Because if how many teams now are in the Power Four? Like, I guess it's still probably close to sixty. Now the yeah. conferences are bigger. Yeah, I would think. Give up one of those sixty jobs to go be a coordinator. You know, seems seems crazy, but again, one of sixty to go be one of thirty-two, or one of sixty-four if you're just talking about coordinators. True. Yeah, I mean, Defensive op- offensive though. versus defensive. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I I do think you'll continue to see coaches. I mean, you saw Harbaugh do it. Now, Harbaugh got paid handsomely to do it, but, sure. you know, he's like, hey, I'm out of college. And that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, especially if you could make as much money. Because, I mean, he probably could have made up to 12 or 14, maybe $15 million at Michigan. I'm sure they're – I don't know what number you balk at for a championship coach because money's not real in college, right? Like Nick Saban at Alabama, they, they would have paid him $20 million to stay. Yeah. You would think. Yeah. You're not going to let him leave over money. No. Nick Saban also kind of fits this of just like, ah, I'm kind of tired of this. Kind of tired doing them. Anything else we need to hit? Uh, last one. Caitlin Clark moved into second place all time in the NCAA uh, all time scoring list. She is. Who'd she pass? Um, she passed. And Bob, do you know who number one is? You know who she's chasing for the all time scoring leader? I do. That would be Kelsey Plum. How about that? And Big brain on Bob. Kelsey Mitchell. She passed Kelsey Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Who was Kelsey Mitchell? Uh, she went to Ohio State. Okay, I have no clue who that and is. And then also pass someone from Missouri State. Jackie, Jackie Styles. Styles. Yeah. yeah. Was that an older player? Yeah. Missouri State, I figured. Yeah. yeah. She's not far off from Kelsey Plum either, right? No, I she, mean, she's going to pass her in a couple games. Caitlin right? Clark's at 34 uh, 24 right now, and Kelsey Plum's at 35 27. They're projecting at her per game average that she'll break the record probably around middle of this month. See, that seems even. That's easy. How many points was she away? Hundred ish. Yeah, I mean, like that. Is that not three games for her? She yeah, that's the, that's like game, three yeah. or four games. Yeah, down this, the line. So, yeah, yeah. This article says it's got her the, pacing to break it on uh, February fifteenth against Michigan. See, that seems late to me because I feel like they have a game this weekend and then two next week. I would think she'd do it next weekend. She might. Yeah, I was thinking more like the tenth. At least we're going to be on watch. I think. I think she has a chance of breaking. I, I just. The way sports are, you know, every now and then, like, you know, you, when LeBron had to break the all-time scoring record, he did it with, like, 40 points. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to piece together a couple 15-point yeah. games and do it. It's like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to put a statement together. Like, when Caitlin Clark breaks it, it's going to be like in a game where she scores, like, 37 or 40 points, in my opinion. So, yeah. I think it'll be three games. That's my prediction. You know what's okay. interesting, too? I heard this uh, on Van Pelt, and because we were just talking about this yesterday, that she's kind of must-watch TV for anyone that loves basketball. And... uh Tim Legler, one of the NBA analysts at ESPN, says he does not miss a Caitlin Clark game. He He's just fascinated with how good she is. I'm not going to go that far to say I won't miss one of her games, but if it is on national TV and I'm not doing anything and I'm at home, yeah, I do put it on. Well, yeah, I don't I don't, yeah. I don't, don't set my DVR. Yeah. But, uh, but I enjoyed the tournament run last year. Like, I, that, oh, that, that was, was appointment television. That I, South Carolina game, mm-hmm. that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Sam, before you dismiss your list, talk about full full swing because I have something to add yeah. there. Oh, my um, God. Hold on. One, one, before you do that, 35, 38, 45, 32, 30, those are her last five games? Yeah. Yeah, she's she definitely breaking three games. Game. I, don't, yeah. I don't know how the it's hell crazy. you're saying it's going to be four or five games away, guy. She's doing it in three. Maybe two. She might go 50-50. Bernard King did that on this day in history, by the way. Whoa. Nice. Little ball thing. Nice. He went 50-50 back-to-back days. I saw that earlier. Anyways, um, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, uh, Netflix announced that Full Swing, the uh, the Netflix golf series, is coming out with season two on March sixth. 
featured players, it's going to be Rory, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, Tom Kim. Those are kind of like your wow. big ones. Wait, running down these names again? Rory, Justin Thomas, uh, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, Tom Kim. Uh, you got like Matt Fitz, the Fitzpatrick brothers, actually. Matt and his brother Alex. Uh, Wyndham Clark, your U.S. Open winner from last year. A couple others, and then you'll get the Ryder Cup captains as well. So I think we'll get a little bit of the behind the scenes from the Ryder Cup. When you say wow, Bob, was that a good wow or a bad wow? No, that's loaded. I mean, it's like you know, big name players. Tom Kim's one of the hot commodities mm-hmm. too because he's okay. really he's up and coming young. Yeah, man. and he's real telegenic. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's good on TV and everything else. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, and I, I I don't know if you have these stats, but I'll add this, Sam, that. I was just reading that during the first season of that, it says viewers consumed 53 million hours of the show wow. during its first five months. The PGA Tour says 11% of full swing viewers had not watched PGA Tour coverage during that time, but then tuned in after the show. So it's obviously helping create better awareness and appreciation of very interesting. Professional I mean, that's why golf. WWE was like, yes, get us to Netflix. Exactly. Because it creates a lot. Of, I mean, it put Formula One on the map. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Locally. 100%. I mean, yeah. Domestically. It's interesting you say that because whenever they, they were reading, whenever you were reading the name, Sam, my takeaway as a golf, you know, very, very, very casual fan was like, eh, not really any names I want to see on there. Now, again, I don't know. The, the, who'd you say was the up and coming guy? Oh, Tom Kim. I don't know who that is. Yeah. I, I don't know who that is. So, like, I'm very, very casual. I watch the big events. I know most of the big top names. I do not know his name, but he's like, been on the scene for like a year or two. Now. Okay, it's like not... it's like Rory. I'm so sick of Rory. I uh, agree with that. Now, like yeah. if he's your main star, is he still gonna be crying about live? Like, what, or is it? <laughs> I mean, if you're telling me like you're getting an actual like look, and I, I don't know, did you watch the last season, the first season? Like, yeah. Do they actually go in depth and like show like real personal things, or is it just like a PR piece? No. It's good. It's yeah, like, it's pretty personal. Will we see, like, Rory crying about all the millions of dollars he's losing? Like, will we have, like, cameras on there well, of him talking about, it, like, it, I didn't. I should have taken this $100 million and him yelling at the PGA officials and, like, being like, hey, well, you remember what the hell are you scene. doing for me? Do you remember that one scene, like, at the end of – did you watch Full Swing? I, I didn't no? watch it. Okay, watch. well, he's got the one swing where it's kind of in the middle of the, you know, the, the live negotiations and everything like that, and, like, Rory's getting a massage with, like, his whole team before a tournament. And they're talking about Phil and Liv, and he's like, "Man, f Phil! Like we don't need, you know, like we don't need <laughs> yeah. him. Like he, he, they show a little bit of the personality." Yeah, but but to me, that's almost PGA propaganda, though. It's like a rally sure, crowd, but, like yeah. No, I'm sorry, you finished. No, finished. no, I was just gonna say, I, I want to know if he's. I want to see him yelling at everyone who lied to him. I want to yeah. see him yelling at leadership. Who I got you. They, they do the live deal, and he's like, wait a second. So now this enemy that I turned down hundreds of millions of dollars from, we're just going to do a deal with them? Can somebody pay me the money I, I, I'm owed? Like, I don't see Rory have a real meltdown because any rational person would feel betrayed because he turned down all the money. And then the PGA is like, actually, these guys aren't that bad. We'll take some of that money ourselves. Now, one of the things that they did a good job on in season one, and I'm assuming they'll do it in season two, is they had Brooks Kepka in season one. And Brooks, obviously a talented golfer, I think he's kind of a dud in terms of TV coverage. But the story goes, I, I appreciated him more after that because – he was very pragmatic. You know, he was going on the live tour. You could tell he was kind of missing the competitive juice. And he was also not happy with how he was playing. He had a back – was it a back injury? Yeah, Sam? yeah. yeah it, and, uh, and he was – you could just tell he – like he was talking about Scotty Scheffler. And he was like, I can't compete with him right now. It was like really like – 
it went inside for me and it was like, God, okay, this guy who I think is kind of a jerk sometimes the way he carries himself and everything else. He's obviously highly competitive, but he let he let them in a little bit. And I hope they're going to do that. Dustin Johnson's going to fit the same mold. He's a yeah, dud as yeah. far as he doesn't really talk well, but maybe we'll learn more about him and, you know, personally and all that. So had Brooks already announced he was going to live when this was filming, or was it just like him playing out his decision on the on the show? How, how did that break down timeline-wise? He'd already announced. Yeah, okay. I believe he had announced. Because, yeah, I mean, Dustin Johnson, of course, a live golfer. Yeah. like there is a live tie, but that was the only name I recognized as, it, as a live golfer on the list. But he and he was watching Scheffler dominate, and you could just tell he's like, "I want to play with him," and he yeah. couldn't except in the majors. Yeah. And so he was. And, and Brooks was very open about like basically like, "Yeah, like I need guaranteed money. My my body's kind of given up on me, and I could set up my family forever. Like I'd be dumb right. not to take it." Like. I don't know if I'm going to win again. And Ian Poulter was another one like that who was like, I'm near the end of my career and they're offering me this money. I've got to go. And he, it was kind of, you kind of followed his journey where it's not, it's not a given he's going to be playing in all the big tournaments, you know, because he's, he's, he's an an aging player. So Sam, do you agree that the series is loaded with stars? Because again, as a, as a ultra casual, I mean, Justin Thomas, I'm, I'm over him. I'm over him and Rory. So maybe that doesn't help, but like compared to the NBA, who we said had LeBron, you know, the greatest of the generation, Tatum, maybe the new face of the league coming up, Butler, Anthony Edwards, and Sabonis. Like, those are four pretty big stars, and Sabonis, who, you know, has a legacy dad played, and, like, I'm actually interested in seeing him. To me, that's, like, star-studded. When the golf one was a little under underwhelming for me. Do yeah, agree to or disagree? I disagree. Okay. To me, yeah, to me, I, I think this is admitting. a great lineup. I'm, I'm with Bob. I think, I, I'm with you guys. I think kind of, like, Rory's a little bit outdone a little bit but i'm still interested in justin thomas i'm with you on uh dj bob i think he's a guy that's like almost you know like fall asleep listening to him but i think he has a personality off the course that these golfers know that a lot of people don't know so i think you'll get that in the series have a little bit of a kirk cousins like wow this guy's wholesome not wholesome in justin johnson's case probably but like hey here's justin johnson talking about selling his soul and like here's some paulina shots here you go like well before he got married like when dj the rumor had it he was hitting on all the players wives yeah Yeah, so exactly. he, he's a he's a he's an interesting one, but yeah, I, I and I'm I, last thing to put a bow on this. I'm with you on Rory. I'm I'm kind of tired of hearing from Rory at this point. It feels like it just move on with him. With that being said, and I know I bashed Rory, I do think there's a chance here, not for redemption, but for him to kind of change his image if he's actually like vulnerable and like says the right things i think you can come out with a different respect for Rory because i am tired of him i don't really like him especially like the live stuff made me like him even less i did kind of sometimes root for him golfing but like i do think he has a chance to kind of change the narrative here so it's a good opportunity for him sure i would say rick butler rocky top insider coming up next we'll talk to him about tennessee versus the ncaa stick with us it's the morning show here on fan run radio Rick Butler, Rocky Top Insider, formerly known as Rick Butler from the Blitz, formerly known as Rick Butler from the Drive, formerly known as Rick Butler, my friend. Now he's my op. What's up, Rick? Good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, John. I'm, I'm doing all right. Hopefully you are too. Formerly friends, though. Yeah, I just, hope we can maybe mend that over 2024. I know that we've had a, a long-standing historic beef. But maybe we can be- maybe we can bury that hatchet here in the new year. Two times, two times this month we've spoken, or two times I guess in the last 
25 days we've spoken, so we're off to a good start. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Hope you guys are doing good. Speaking of beef, Tennessee, the NCAA, Donda Plowman versus the NCAA. You wrote about it on Rocky Top Insider. Where do you think Tennessee currently stands with their assault on the NCAA? Yeah, I think that Tennessee stands in a good position. And I just go back to, you know, sort of Tennessee's response to this and their mentality to this. This was a thing where, you know, Tennessee could have delayed it through a Freedom of Information Act, you know, for 60 days, 90 days, whatever the period might be. But this is something that Tennessee wanted to do on a unified front. You go back to yesterday morning and you see the unified response from not only Tennessee's brass, but also state politicians, state officials, and all of this happening at once. I think this was clearly a situation where Tennessee knew that they were going to be in for a fight and knew that they were going to, not going to back down. Then the NCAA goes ahead and adds in their statement, uh, what is that, Wednesday evening, Wednesday night or so, and that sounded like a, uh, a statement where they were committed as well. So I, I did sort of wonder at times throughout the day yesterday, maybe even throughout the day on Tuesday, what direction is this going to go? You know, is somebody going to sort of back down early on? Is this sort of going to fade away? And I do think that maybe some of the initial fireworks might be behind us, but I, I do think that both sides sound very committed to what they're doing, and uh, certainly from a Tennessee side, uh, they're ready for a fight, and it definitely seems like that. Now, hey, Rick, thanks for joining us, by the way. Uh, my question, too, and I can't speak to how many interactions. You, you're obviously on the, the athletic beat. Um, but as far as interactions with Donde, and you're watching how she's rolling on this, we talked about this earlier in the show, that um, she had a moment two days ago when all this broke with her letter that got everybody that's a Tennessee fan um, – rallying you you saw at the basketball game the response from the crowd there i mean she's she's all of a sudden become a bit of a of a vol legend in just a short amount of time um i i, I and then yesterday we we used the term double down you know she she stood by her yeah. points and then some but uh, my question to you is do you ever get any feel from some of the athletes on how they're feeling about this, you know, just the administration in general? You may not, you know, because those guys are focusing on ball and everything else, but it's it's quite frankly, it's kind of rare that you have a university administration that feels just being frank as sophisticated as the one Tennessee has right now with Boyd, Plowman, Danny White. Um is there any ever, and it might even be from the players, might be from the coaches. Do you ever get any feel uh, from from the from those staffs in terms of you know how this is just showing to me? It underscores how supported uh, the athletic programs are by the the top leaders at the university. Yeah, that's a great question, Bob. And you know, it was funny you talk about Donnie Plowman being one of the most popular people around town. I don't know if you guys were at the basketball game the other night, but. She was brought out before the game during pregame to deliver an honorary ball to Food City at midcourt and got one of the biggest pops of the night. I mean, people, even though it was a late-arriving crowd, so you didn't have anybody there, people definitely showed their appreciation towards the chancellor. You know, I, that's a great question. I think that when you talk about some of the players' mindset towards the administration and towards the officials at University of Tennessee, I, there's rarely public conversation about it. You know, it, most of the time they're talking about their coaches, they're talking about staff inside the football program or the basketball program, whatever it is. But there have been a couple of times where 
especially some of the veterans, maybe a guy like Jacob Warren, and I'm not saying that I can remember an exact Jacob Warren quote, but you know, he's one of the guys who has said one of these sort of things before, but they've just talked about how you know, in this new last couple of years at Tennessee, in this new era, there has been much more continuity uh, between the, uh, the people at the top of the ladder, between the people inside the programs, between the players, the staff, whoever it is. There's a lot of continuity in there, and I, I definitely think that Tennessee officials fall into that conversation. But the other thing I think where that conversation really has an impact is behind closed doors, sort of out of the public's eye, because I do think that this is a recruiting tool for Tennessee where other schools are maybe going to you know, try to recruit against Tennessee by saying, man, look at this, they're always in trouble, they're always being looked at, something's going to happen. You know, At some point the dam has to break and, and everything's going to come flooding out. But Tennessee can turn around and say, Hey, look, we're committed to our student-athletes. And that was one of Dondi Plowman's big points yesterday when she sort of summed up her letter to the NCAA. She said, look, I'm going to stand up for my student-athletes, and this is not the last time that I'm going to stand up for my student-athletes. I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to protect their rights. We're going to do whatever it takes. And it's not just us here at the University of Tennessee in the offices. We're going to, we're going to invoke the resources that's needed to be able to make you successful from a football or a basketball standpoint, by taking care of everything else around you, so when it comes to the logistics and the legality. So I think that maybe this is more of a behind-closed-doors conversation where they're saying, we truly believe that we have an administration and a brass that will back you and support you when you need it. We will go to war for you. We will fight for you. Um, and so, I, again, I think those are some of the more conversations that are happening behind the scenes rather than in the public eye. Well, I think you saw both Nico and George McIntyre have statements, passive-aggressive statements maybe, on, on social media. I saw Nico shared uh, the Tennessee statements, you know, the, the Tennessee Donda statement against the NCAA on, on Tuesday. And I, you know, I saw a screenshot of George McIntyre going through and liking a couple tweets about how Tennessee's administration is fighting for their players and how great of a place it is for their athletes. So, yeah, maybe not publicly – you know, maybe next time you get some media availability, Rick, you ask them if they feel supported by the administration <laughs> and what that does for the locker room. But I do think they've made some statements on social media. Like I said, maybe maybe a little bit passive aggressively though, or quietly. No, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great point, John. One I didn't even think about a second ago. I, I was more thinking about the just the press conference side of things. You're right. I mean, social media being one of the most popular avenues or mediums going on right now. It's a place where tenis, where people can share their thoughts, and uh, even as as simply as an Instagram story where. You know, he, he's sharing support for Donnie Plowman. That's a statement right there, especially from a young guy in the program. So, uh, forgive me, that, that's a great point, and that's certainly a, uh, you know, a rallying the troops moment. Hey, staying on football for a second, um, but jumping off of this one, because I think this is going to be a very fluid story for at least the next few days, and then we'll see if it moves on to litigation, because then it will drag out if it really comes to that. But um, one of the things I wanted to get your take on, too, and it's tied to football, is just been seeing in the last couple of days, we've seen some, you know, quote unquote, reclassifications in terms of, um, you know, Jordan Ross and Peyton Lewis, and, and they're all upgrades per on three. I, I Just from your standpoint, is that how common is that? Is it just coincidental we're seeing a couple of those right now and it happens all the time? Or, you know, what, what's your take on that? Because, I mean, it's good news, I guess, if you're a Tennessee fan because their, their stock is rising, so to speak. But um, just would love your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that this is a – I think it's a fairly – maybe not a fairly common thing, but I, I wouldn't call it rare. Um, I, I do think it's a thing where, you know, just – 
by one circumstance or another. Maybe it's uh, just the, the willingness to get onto campus, or maybe there's something they see. But uh, I think the reclassification is something that we have seen in years past. Now, I don't exactly know all the you know what goes into it, what might make that decision for a recruit. Um, but I, I think that the rising of the rankings has been one of the most notable things over the last couple of days as well. A lot of these players, I mean, Jordan Lewis bumping up from the, you know, I, I believe he was the, what, number, I think he was in the 130s, maybe now he's in the uh, 60s or something like that. I mean, it, it's it's a pretty big jump for some of these guys. 64 spots was the exact number for Peyton Lewis. Uh, it, it, it's pretty nice to watch all these players sort of rise up in the rankings. I think it also shows to Josh Heupel's ability to go back and, sort of, you know, scout these players and, and get a good idea of what they can bring to the table even before all their football is being played at, at high school is done with. So uh, I think this is a really good, you know, good opportunity for Tennessee to continue trying to find the pieces that can help their team in the most immediate. And they feel like some of these guys can help them in the immediacy or at least want to get them on a campus really quick. So that's what they're doing. Do you have any thoughts on CM Punk's injury? <laughs> Yeah, you know, the the big story right now is that people are thinking that he was supposed to win the Rumble and then he, he, he backed down the middle of it. I don't think that's the case. I think it was always a Cody Rhodes Rumble. Oh, I haven't seen that conspiracy. I don't buy that at all. I'll I'll, I'll DM it to you. Uh, you don't have to. I'm not it. a CM Punk guy. I just know you had said you were all in, you're rooting for him, and blah, blah, blah. And I was just wondering how you felt about this. I was this devastated. How this 45-year-old man, John. a great finesse king by CM Punk. He's wrestled like four matches, Bob, over the last like five years, and somehow he's walked away with like $10 million. He's never healthy. He never wrestles. But somehow he keeps getting all these damn checks because of people like Rick. Never heard of him. Um, We're in the modern era where you need a microphone. The microphone matters more than the boots, and he's—you know that, John. You're not, a microphone guy. Yeah, You're a the, promo guy. He's I mean, overrated. This guy should be up your alley. Guy caught one promo ten years ago. He's been living off that for ten years. <laughs> oh my God! One promo ten years ago, Rick. <laughs> yeah. The pipe bomb, and that's it. That's all. He's been living off that. It's over ten years ago. It was like twelve years ago. He's been living off oh, that. Oh, you missed the one last week. Nah, he had a great one fun. last week. That was all, Cody. Y'all just had to go there, didn't you? It's uh, hey, um, I have one more question, and it's basketball. Yeah. While we got you on the line, because um, we have Coach Polinski coming on. Uh, it's part of our new uh, weekly deal with him. He's coming on next hour, and um, I don't know. I don't know if you were at any sort of uh, if you were at a practice yesterday or anything else. We're just trying to. We're going to ask how the vibe is with that team right now. We don't want to dwell too much on Tuesday night, but um, didn't know if you had anything to add there before we uh, we go in and talk to Coach. Yeah, no, I, I have not. Um, I've not seen anything since the game. I, I believe that we as the media will be back uh, for a practice coming up in Knoxville tomorrow. So we're going to get our good uh, a good look at the team before they leave for Lexington. You know, I think that's a really great question because that to me is – one of the storylines coming out of that game, right? I know that the loss is important and, and how Tennessee lost is really important, but the fact that Kentucky and Lexington is coming up as the next game, to me, it's how does Tennessee sort of handle this, this two-game stretch? And this could be an opportunity for Tennessee's first, or excuse me, second multi-game losing streak of the season. It's going to be a tough one in Lexington, but it's going to take a, you know, a, a revamp mindset. One of, the thing, one of the takeaways that I had coming out of the game on Tuesday was that we were sort of sitting there working in the arena once the arenas flooded out, and, or excuse me, once the fans flooded out of the arena. And after, I would say, about 20, 15, 20 minutes or so after the press conference ended, the seats are empty. Don Connect comes out into the court. He's working on some free throws. Don Connect came, came out to the court working on shooting with a very 
specific plan in mind. He started out working on free throws. I would say he did that for about 15, 20 minutes, and then he moved to the other side of the court where he was working on transition pull-up three-pointers. He came onto the court with a mission, and he executed it. About halfway through his shooting session, uh, Jemai Meshack joined him on the court. Jemai Meshack went to the opposite end of the court. He was working on more just short, restricted arc baskets, right, going off the board. Uh, maybe some floaters in the lane, stuff like that, short passes. And then last but not least, Josiah Jordan-James came out after that. He joined Jemai Meshack's end uh, and started working on shots with him, working on free throws, working on short-range shots. Now, obviously, you know, you add some more people, the, the shot volume might decrease a little bit, the talking might increase a little bit. But I did take that as a notable move from those three guys to go out and say, look, not only did we lose this game, we just lost this game at home based on a terrible shooting performance. These guys wanted to get out to, onto the court pretty quickly after the game, continue working on those free throws and those shots. Uh, so I did take that as a big standout from the, from the loss on Tuesday. But that at least tells me that these guys are locked in. They understand what's to come. And they understand that one loss like that, it, it, can, it can have an impact, especially on the SEC championship when it comes to the regular season. So I think that they want to get back on the horse. I think that they... Uh, I think that they're not scared of a road environment at Kentucky. We've seen what Don Connect's numbers are on the road. They're phenomenal. I believe he's averaging just about 31 points per game on the road right now. And then everybody else not named Don Connect has been to Lexington before. These guys ha- have been there before. They-, they know what it's like to play in that game. Now, granted, they- they've lost pretty handily on a couple occasions in the last couple of years, but they at least know what that challenge is like. They know what that experience is going to be like. So I'm really interested to listen to what Greg Polinski has to say on y'all's show. But I would imagine that there is a very focused mindset in the locker room right now. Really thought you were going to tell me Josiah came out to work on passing and defense. I was, I was going to say Josiah went out and took three shots and said, "Okay, I'm done." Yeah, <laughs> I got my one shot. I'm good. Time to go in. That's not cool. Well, so nice. I'll, I'll be say, sweet, Bob. Know, be sweet. I know. I know. I know. That's why I Nobody. took the joke. I, I didn't want you to have to be not sweet. I, you be sweet. I love Josiah. <laughs> I love Josiah. You do. You're his biggest fan. One of them. I'd like to think that. Rick, what are you working yeah. on Rocky Top Insider? Yeah, right now we're just uh, we're, we're following this football thing right now. Obviously, we're going to be taking off for Lexington here in just about, I don't know, a little over 48 hours or so. So we'll, we'll be there for the game coming up this weekend. But until then, just monitoring the football situation. Maybe who else comes out with a statement today? Maybe if Tennessee responds to the, to the NCAA statement, what happens? We'll have you locked in over on RockyTopInsider.com. Appreciate your time as always. Talk to you soon as we work on re rebuilding our friendship. <laughs> as we work on bearing that hatchet, maybe starting with the punk Cody feud. But guys, y'all have a great morning. Thanks so much for having me on, and I'll be looking forward to the Polinsky interview. Can't wait for it. Yeah, Ram. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. Samuel sent us to break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Everybody. We got uh, some breaking news. Uh, Bob, what do you got for us? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, this will, I only bring this up, and I'll bring it up quickly because we we talked about this a little bit in uh, we, we talked about it a little bit in the segment prior to Rick Butler coming on regarding um, Netflix. Full swing, and we made a brief reference to uh, to F1, Formula One, because they have the documentary uh, Drive to Survive, I think is what it's called. And this is, this is a pretty major seismic move in the F1 space. Uh, 
Lewis Hamilton, who has been with Mercedes for quite some time. Um, as a matter of fact, they say the Mercedes F1 team received about 25% of all TV time during its championship winning seasons. Its valuation increased from $400 million to $2.7 billion during Lewis Hamilton's run in F1 with Mercedes. He is leaving Mercedes. He is now signing with Ferrari, and this is relatively breaking news. And just in the time since he has signed and announced his signing, Ferrari's stock is up 7% pre-market. So it's pretty, pretty amazing how one person, their talents, uh, their impact can influence these big, big automotive companies. Yeah, I don't watch Formula One, but that's a name, obviously, I know. That's, yeah. uh, that's the face of Formula One. I mean, I, there's... What Max Verstappen? That's another one. Is he oh. is he number two? Is he or is he number one now? He's, like, he's, he... num- he's number one now. Okay. Yeah. In terms of popularity as well, uh, I wouldn't say popularity, but he is he is running the skills, joint in yeah. terms of uh, wins and all of that. It's kind of Verstappen's game right now. But Lewis Hamilton's still wildly popular. Is that part of the reason Lewis Hamilton is leaving? It's a good question. I mean, Verstappen. I think I want to say Verstappen's with McLaren, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm sure money obviously has a lot to do with it, but also, yeah, maybe it's commitment to the team and what Ferrari wants to do. I know Ferrari had a better plan of putting yeah. in a better car or whatever to get him back to catch Was... Verstappen. Because it says he makes $35 million a year right now. Right? It says his salary. I mean, I don't know if that includes endorsements or whatever. I would think he'd make maybe a little bit more money with as famous as he is. But Was the Verstappen kid Ferrari for a little while? Did maybe he, he switched to McLaurin? I thought he changed to McLaren, but I, I got mean, no clue. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm a uh, I know a little about F1, yeah, but I'm not I'm not deep into it. Same. So, but I yeah to your point, John. We know who Lewis Hamilton is. We know who Verstappen is, and then after that, I don't think I can name a third. Uh, I've got a buddy who oh, I got a good friend it. who loves it. Yeah, loves like he, it. He, I, I've, he lives in Nashville. I've stayed with him whenever I've gone to Nashville, and then. Sunday morning before we go to Titans games or something, I'll have it fired up watching the qualifying and stuff like that. And I was watching, I'm like, I don't really, I understand it, I get it, but like, it doesn't, Yeah, I can't grasp it, I guess. And My dad and my brother are huge into yeah, it. He loves it. Yeah. And he's probably yelling at the phone right now about the other drivers that <laughs> are out there because I only know the two. Yeah. I could see Ricardo, all, Daniel Ricardo. There I you know, go. Yeah. I was going to say, I could see her all day and never think of a third, but good job by you, Sam. And when he wasn't, and when, <laughs> actually, okay, last thing and we'll move on. When he wasn't driving, Danny Ricardo, he, um, they were doing a version for F1 races, kind of like the the Manning cast, and it was uh, Danny Ricardo and Will Arnett. That's interesting. Yeah, because Arnett's a huge F1 guy, huh. loves it. So, uh, okay, there you go. That's some breaking news with Lewis Hamilton. My friend wrote in this F1 segment crying, laughing emoji face because – like I said, he's laughing at our lack of knowledge. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we got the headline there, Lewis Hamilton That's leaving. all we care about. That's we, all we care about. We don't it. care about details. We respected enough to know it's a big deal. We respected enough to know it's a big deal. ESPN put out a list of some coaches, college football coaches, on the hot seat already heading into the year, which I think is a random time to put out at the beginning of February. But have you seen this article – 
Sam, do you know who the people on the list are? Uh, no, I don't. Bob, have you seen the list? Were you able to get into ESPN Plus? Uh, no, you might have heard me cursing ESPN Plus when we came out of the break. Uh, uh, I, well, I did, I did, but yeah. I wasn't going to bring it up. But yeah, it's no, I haven't logged in. I see as ESPN Plus tends to do. I'm seeing about two paragraphs of the story, and that's it. So. They have three coaches that they deem to be on the hottest of seats. Sam, would you like to take a guess on the three coaches on the hottest of seats? Um, well, I'll go with the obvious. I'll go with Billy Napier. I feel he like is that's one of the three. Number one. I don't know if it ranked. I don't know okay. if it's. It seems to be an alphabetical order of the school. Uh, but Florida, Billy Napier is on there. On there. On there. And yeah, he's eleven and fourteen overall, six and ten in the SEC. They just say it's hard to see him back in twenty twenty five. They're basically already like saying it's done for Billy yeah. when they talk about their yeah. schedule and. Florida hasn't had a coach make it through year four since Urban Meyer. That seems crazy, but I guess it's true. They haven't had a coach make it through year four since Urban Meyer. I mean, McIlwain would have if he would have just shut up, and then he started, you know, talking about death threats and, you know, when the team turned on him, and then that just gave him an easy excuse to fire him. All right, Billy Napier. Sam, you got another guess? Bob, you got a guess of who would be on the hot seat? Um, well, one that I'm, I'm stunned that he is back, and I don't think he would be long for the job just given who he added to his staff would be uh, Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Sam Pittman on the list as well. Good job by you. Two for two, guys. Good job. Pittman made it to year five despite a 4-8 and eight record last fall. Says anything close to that again, we'll make sure he is fired. And Bobby Petrino is lying in wait. Surely they're not going to let Bobby do it, but they might. They might. He is there. Oh, he'll. The wolf is in the hen house. He will lobby for it. Oh, you for count, sure. You can count he, on it. All right. You got the third one. Third one, I got to be honest, a little bit tough. I don't think I would get this guy as being on a hot seat. I don't I don't necessarily agree with this, or maybe I just don't think about him. Dave Aranda from Baylor. I'm not even going to make a guess. I don't think you would. He's on the hot seat for sure. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, Absolutely. I could sit here for 20 minutes and probably not think of Dave Aranda. Just, I guess he went three and nine last year and says he's nine and 16 since. He's been Since bad. Baylor went to the Big 12 championship. He's been bad the last couple of years. I guess I just don't think of Baylor as caring enough to fire their coaches. And, like, the fact he did go and win a conference championship two years ago, I thought would buy him more time. But, yeah, those is, are the guys uh, with the three hottest seats. Pittman, Aranda, and Napier. Is Ryan Day on this list by chance? They put the next category is called keep an eye on, which I guess means maybe a six and a half to seven out of ten on the hot seat range. Ryan Day is on there. Okay. You'll find him along with um, – Chip Kelly, who looked like he was I, – I would bump Chip Kelly to Tier 1 because, I mean, Chip Kelly almost got fired last yeah, year. I thought, he I, was thought it was, I thought it was fait accompli. He was getting fired was yeah. the way they made it sound. And then Yeah, I mean, like, it seemed like it was completely dead. And then I guess he beat, he beat USC his last weekend. Like, I guess – Yeah. They well, lost that Dante Moore kid, though. Matt, what did you say? Fait accompli? Yeah. What the hell does that mean? How uh, do I spell it? Uh, it's uh, Fate accompli, a thing that has already happened or been decided before those affected hear about it. Fate accompli. See what you're learning? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I, I love sitting next to you, Bob. I, I've worked in, I got a boil, boiler plate, plate, not boiler maker, boiler plate statement, and fate accompli. And you fate know, accompli. And uh, you know what an interstitial is now, too. Remember, we talked about that. that. We did talk about that. That was off the air, but I do know what an interstitial is. That's whenever the news basically give somebody a a segment that's content slash a little bit of promotion and advertising right you got it good yeah. memory yeah i wouldn't have remembered what the phrase was though 
Yeah. Intersection intersectionary is that what you said? Interstitial. Yeah, I already forgot. <laughs> yeah. Interstitial. But yeah, anyway. And, and, yeah, see, now you know. Yeah. Use that this weekend somewhere. Yeah. Um, like you're going to get a drink and they're like, Hey, you wanted a beer. It's yeah. like, yeah, man, fait accompli. You knew it. Break up with a woman. Leave a woman. <laughs> what happened? I didn't see this coming. Sorry, baby. It was fait accompli. <laughs> you should have seen it coming. It had already happened. Whenever <sighs> I quit replying to your text, fait accompli. All right. Who else is on the list? Uh, well, I was just working on more real-life examples. Uh, Chip <laughs> Kelly, I do think, should be t- bumped up to Tier 1 just because, again, it looked like it was fait accompli that he was gone and fired last year. And then somehow he just kind of kept his job. I'm like, yeah, I guess you'll stay. No big deal. Uh, Clark Lee, not going to surprise you. No. I don't, he, he is a tier below Dave Aranda where I'm like, I don't even think the school cares enough to really want to put anybody on the hot seat. But uh, Ryan Day on tier two in terms of hot seat, I think that checks out. He really needs to have a good season. Really needs to beat Michigan. I, I will say, like, if he loses to Michigan this year, they should fire him on the spot. Because yeah. he should go into that game with a huge talent advantage. And, of course, going up against a, a coach in year one. What about, um, is Brett Bielema on the list? He's not. Uh, the other two guys on this list are Kalani Sataki, I guess, the BYU's head coach. Uh, okay. I don't know if I'm saying that last yes, name correctly. That's correct. I was just sounding it out. Not to, I'm not trying to go Dan Wetzel and, and, and Pat Ford. That's what I'm going to start doing to Pat Forty. You're just Pat Ford now, wise guy. Speaking of Pats, Pat Narduzzi. Those are the other names on the list. So they give three being on the super hot seat and then another – Five on, like, keep an eye on. Narduzzi's another one that probably, if he had just kind of kept his mouth shut last season, that, that didn't go well. Remember how he alienated his players? and it, I, don't, I don't really remember, but it says his comments following a 58-7 to loss in Notre Dame drew the ire of players, leading to an apology. So, like... Yeah, he said, we don't have enough talent. We don't have enough, you know, guys out there, basically. It was about NIL, wasn't it? Yeah. Saying that, like, uh, yeah. we don't have the resources uh, to went, compete with these programs. Went 3-9 and nine last year, but they do point out he's under contract till 2030. Wow. So, like, I mean, I guess that's not that crazy. It's just a six-year contract, and I guess most coaches keep a running four- or five-year contract for recruiting purposes. But, like, uh, that's a lot of money for Pitt to have to pay out, I guess, to a coach. How long has he been there? Was he coaching, like, Aaron Donald at Pitt? Uh, no, I don't right, think right? so. I don't he think can't so either. Right? I want to say Narduzzi's been there since like 2012, if I was guessing. Like, that's just kind of. Because Aaron Donald would have already been in the league by then, right? Yeah, surely. I want to say he's like been there for a while, though. Let's see. 62 and 41 overall. That puts him at what? Like 100, and 100 games. That's about 10 seasons, I guess. 2015 was his first year. Okay. Yeah, definitely after Donald. And then, yeah, they just got some guys on retirement watch after that. They got three coaches they think might hang it up. Mac Brown. Kyle Whittingham, which is a little surprising. I don't think of oh, – I haven't really thought of Pat Whittingham as a retirement candidate. They say he just celebrated his 65th birthday. But, like, I don't – in college football, we see guys coaching to the early 70s all the time. And Utah should be good again next year, I would imagine. Yeah, he's a good coach. Kirk Ferentz, I can see that. We didn't really talk about it. And laugh about it, but did you see who Kirk Ferentz ended up hiring as his offensive coordinator? Yeah, Tim Lester. He went and got, was it Western Michigan's <laughs> guy that had been fired? Yeah. Their fired offensive coordinator, and like Western Michigan was like 130th of like the, the, the FBS school, so only like a couple spots ahead of Iowa and what they had. So he did upgrade. 
Yeah, I was going to say, he could have, no matter who he hired, it was probably an upgrade. But he found the guy maybe that's the least amount of upgrade over his, his son, which maybe is him being a protective dad. He's like, hey, we're going to keep sucking on offense, and you're going to see it wasn't my son's fault. It's just we're in Iowa. We can't recruit. So we just recruit defense and tight ends. That's it. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three. We got Greg Polinski coming up at 920 as we talk to the Tennessee assistant basketball coach. Stick with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.